Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Welcome back to the Femi Pod. This is episode number 30. Thank you so much for everybody who has joined us so far on this journey. This will be our last pod for the season. So we're going to take a couple of weeks off after this pod, but we do want to finish the season on a high. And we have asked our listeners for plenty of questions today. So we've got a list of questions that we're going to get through. But before we kick into things, of course, I've got the amazing Esther here with me. We're actually in the same room for once. <laughs> Thank God we are in um, Noosa together, which is awesome. How are you, Esther? I mean, welcome to Noosa. I'm so sorry it's not sunny, but you are on the Sunshine Coast. I know. I can't believe it. It's really funny. You know, Lid's Instagram videos always look so sunny and beautiful. And then I rock up and it's like torrential rain. But it's actually really nice and it's really humid here. So it's not cold or anything. So the rain's not too bad. But yeah, it was it was a good flight over yesterday, but chaotic. I think airports are getting used to like international travel again. So I think, yeah, it was a bit stressful because I had to do a stopover because yeah, flights are limited. They're really expensive at the moment. And yeah, just a bit crazy. So really happy to have made it. Uh, and then Lydia and I went on a really cool run this morning, this adventure through uh, Noosa National Park, which was really cool. Is that what it's called? Yes, the National Park. The National yeah. Park. Uh, and Lydia took me on her special runs that she goes on. So that was really cool. Uh, I was dying a bit because I've been in Papamoa with no hills <laughs> for the last, you know, six weeks. There's zero hills really around Papamoa and Mount Maunui. So this was a quite hilly area. So I was dying a bit at the back, but it was really fun. Um, and yeah, we're just going to hopefully do lots of work together and enjoy and look around. And we've also got coach Rach coming over the weekend. So we'll catch up with her and then heading to Melbourne next week as well for a Nike event and uh, some other cool catch-ups with some Femi girls there as well. So super excited for the next few weeks and happy to be here. Have you been there? It's weird asking you about in person. Yeah, it is uh, so good to be in the same room as you finally. Uh, we've been, for those who don't know, we've been working in different countries for the last nearly two years while we've been building Femi and we've spent a couple of weeks together here and there, but it's nice to finally actually be together and um, yeah, we're going to do some work and planning around Femi and what the next couple of years is going to bring for the beautiful community that we have. Um, so yeah, it's good to have you here. But we're going to kick straight into things. We have a good list of questions so thank you to everybody who has submitted a question we have plenty of questions I'm not sure if we're going to make it through all of them today yes we have condensed some of the questions um, into one because there were a few questions that were asked multiple times which is awesome you obviously all want to learn the same things so getting straight into things yes we're going to ask the first question number one being if you are tired how do you know when you should rest or keep going in training yeah this this is a question we get lots and we we've had a few listeners asked this question before and some of our Femi athletes as well it's a real tough question because everybody's different but I think the main thing is just like really tuning in and listening to your body and knowing where you are in your cycle so you know if you're feeling really really fatigued and it's that end of the luteal phase and you know that it's the end of the luteal phase then you can be a little bit nicer to yourself and say you know a day off here is probably what I need but I think the hard thing is that when you are training really hard you 
you're constantly pushing your body hard. So you're, you are tired a lot of the time. And I know, you know, when I'm in deep training and, and obviously Lids with her marathon training, even more so, like we're both really tired and it's, it is kind of like a balancing act. But I think if you're finding you're tired like day in, day out, day in, day out, and every run is a struggle, then you probably just need to just be nice to yourself and take a day off. Uh, but I think, yeah, like really tuning in and listening to your body and then being consciously aware that you probably will be fatigued if you're training for a really hard or long race, uh, but just knowing when maybe it's tipping over the edge. What do you yeah, think? definitely. Like when I'm in a full marathon training block, four to eight weeks out from the marathon, I'm pretty much tired every single day. And it's one of those things you just have to accept. But I try to do things that allow me to feel better, especially in training. Things like uh, sleeping more, going to bed earlier, waking up later, getting in daily naps if I can. So even if I can nap for 20 or 30 minutes a day in the afternoons usually has helped me so much with my recovery and allowed me to feel better. I think it's just important to note that if you are feeling injured or you have niggles or anything that's inflamed in training, that's definitely a sign that your body needs a rest. So take the rest if you need it at that point. But if it's general tiredness, um, depending what you're training for, try to just get more sleep if you can. And then if you do feel like you need to take a break, don't feel guilty about taking that break. That is your body telling you like it's important to take some recovery. Your body needs it. So take the recovery and know that it's actually going to benefit you more than just pushing through at some point. But if you are in heavy training, it's pretty normal to feel pretty tired most of the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's such a like balancing act. And when you do feel that fatigued, it can be kind of overwhelming if you've got like another run in the afternoon or something. What Lid said was perfect. Nailed it. Also, we're going to go on to a little bit about contraception now and contra uh, hormonal contraceptives. So more so like the OCP or oral contraceptive pill. Uh, so question number two we have is, do you have history with hormonal contraceptives? And if so, how did they impact life and training? Yeah, so these questions are really good. We've got quite a few around contraception and just before we dive into things, letting you all know we're not medical experts, so we're not going to be giving out medical advice, um, but these, this is, I guess, advice from our own experiences, and some of the stuff we will chat about has come from our experts, Dr. Izzy Smith, Grace Coombs, and Sarah Whittison. But for me, the only time I've been on oral contraceptives or I went on um, the OCP, I actually got put on, I think it was Yasmin when I was about 13 or 14, so very young. I got my period when I was 11 or 12 and I actually had pretty bad acne when I was a teenager as probably a lot of teenagers do I still do <laughs> um, and I just remember it affecting my mental health and my confidence so badly and my sister actually helped me go to the doctor and I went to the sex and health clinic and was given the pill at 13 or 14 I think maybe 14 and, you know, the doctor did not give me any insights into how the pill worked, what it was going to do, really didn't give me any insights into the side effects of being on the pill. So I kind of had no idea. And I think up until that, at that point, I don't, really only had my period for maybe a year or two, but my period, as it probably is for most people when they first start menstruating, wasn't too bad. Like it was relatively light and like probably relatively irregular until it, I got a regular cycle but after I went on the pill I just remember all of a sudden my period just got so bad and really heavy and 
I pretty much had like a pretty heavy period ever since then. And whether I would have had this heavy period if I hadn't been on the pill or not, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think it really benefited me at all. I, I remember it affecting my body, it affected my body weight, it affected my confidence in my body. Um, and I've definitely heard stories of a lot of young teenage girls going to the doctor and getting put in the pill because they do have acne or they have bad periods, um, painful periods and getting put on the pill without really too much information and then having quite bad side effects in terms of like mental health, especially. So it's something that we probably just need to be more aware of um, and young girls definitely need to be more aware of. And I think a lot of people just need to be more educated on what the pill actually does to us as females. But other than that, I can't really speak on how it impacted my training because I wasn't really training that hard as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy you know, that's just a, such a common solution, just chuck them on the pill. And there's some women who have been on the pill for ages and still have painful uh, ongoing issues. And, you know, and like you said, their mental health's been affected and they could also be masking red. So that's another big one, I think, with hormonal contraceptive is, is you just don't, you're not actually getting an, a normal period. You just get a withdrawal bleed from the synthetic hormone. So it's actually not a period so you don't know if you're fueling enough so I think you know that's a really big one especially if you're an athlete reds you know it's a tough place to be and quite hard to get out of so if you don't even know you're in it you know that's that's no good so I think for me my history has been I was on like probably the worst one you could possibly be on as a, any person I was on the Depo Provera which is the injection into your so you get it injected into your butt cheek like every three months and I I think I was on that for maybe a year which I'm really lucky I wasn't on for longer because it actually has it's got links to reducing bone density of like one to three percent a year so I, I could have easily lost like one or two percent during that year which is quite scary but luckily for me I wasn't on it for that long so yeah like obviously if you're listening probably avoid that if you're an athlete I would say and then I similar to lids had bad skin so when I was over and when I lived in Melbourne I, I had quite bad acne on my chin and I went on Yasmin as well and I think I had the worst three to four weeks of training of my life and I was like this isn't worth it like I felt breathless I felt I just felt like something wasn't right and so I just realized it was probably the pill because that's the only thing that had changed and so I decided just to stop and yeah I think you know, there's not enough research done about it. Obviously, there's not enough research done about women in general, uh, in sport and in life. But yeah, there's not enough research to say it's bad or good performance wise. But there's a little bit sort of heading towards the fact that there are some things that you could be missing out on and being on the hormonal contraceptive pill. So again, it's totally personal choice. And we're not saying don't do it, don't take it. But yeah, it's, that's kind of both leads in my experience with it so far. Yeah. I mean, some women have to go on the pill for their own hormonal issues um, and health concerns that they're facing. So we understand that there is a time and a place for the pill. We're not going to tell you to take the pill or not to take the pill, but yeah, those are our experiences. But that leads quite nicely into the next question, which is when training around your cycle, is it still important when you're on contraceptives, e.g. the pill? And if so, what happens if you skip your period? Yeah, this is a good question and it gets asked heaps. Um, you don't get the normal hormonal fluctuations that you would with a natural cycle. So you don't get the, the peak in estrogen, the drop away, the, the peak in progesterone, and then like the, the low hormone phase. You don't get that. You get 
a flat line of hormones. So it's pretty much the same level the whole way through. And then when you go on the sugar pill, obviously those synthetic hormones drop away and you have a withdrawal bleed from those synthetic hormones. So you don't have a normal fluctuating hormonal cycle that you would on a natural cycle. So training around your cycle, I mean, there's still elements that we do at Femi that completely cross over. So just making sure that you're taking a holistic approach to training, you've got some tempo work in there, you've got some harder training sessions in there, but you're still taking adequate recovery and making sure you're factoring like all other life factors. Because I think that's really, you know, although we're training our woman to their cycle, Femi is a really holistic program that looks at their overall stress as well. So I think if you take anything from that, just making sure you're still, you know, if you're only doing HIIT two to three times a week, I think that's great. And making sure you recover a lot as well uh, alongside that. So, and if you skip your period, those hormones again are just going to flatline the whole way through. So you won't get that withdrawal and the drop away. Yeah, I think periodized training is important for everybody. And at Femi, when we're training women to their cycle, the periodization of our training is actually just synced to their cycle. So if you don't have that cycle, you can still do the periodized training where you like have two or three weeks of hard training and then almost like a down week to rest and recover and focus more on recovery in that down week and then do harder intensity sessions on your on weeks. That's an example of periodized training. And for us women, we just are lucky that we have our bodies work in sync to that periodization, if that makes sense. So when you're on the pill, you could definitely do still do periodization in your training, especially if you're training towards a race. And as an example, if you're training towards a 10K, I would suggest getting on an you know, eight to 10 week training block where you will increase your Ks, build a good base for a couple of weeks and then increase the intensity and then try and peak in your training around like four to th- three weeks out from the race and then start pulling your training back two weeks out and then make sure that you're peaking at race day. That's another example of periodization in your training. But if you had your menstrual cycle, you take that into account throughout those eight to 10 week block as well. So there's different ways to tackle it, but I think working with your body, doing holistic training, making the right decisions that feel right for you at the time is really important, whether you've got a natural cycle or not. Love it. Cool. Question number four, we've got, what are some things I can do every day to be a better runner? Yeah, this is a really good question because I think a lot of people will immediately go to what they can do in training to be a better runner. For me, I think I've been training pretty similarly over the last 10 years. Definitely in the last three years, I've trained a lot more in line with my body and my menstrual cycle, but I've also just made things and made decisions that have allowed me to feel more confident in who I am and make sure I'm actually prioritizing rest and recovery and knowing that rest and recovery is just as important as the training. I think I spent probably five good years of my life just trying to go, go, go and do everything I could and train harder and eat less and do all the, make all these pretty bad decisions that didn't actually help my running at all. And it wasn't until I actually started fueling myself correctly and taking the rest and recovery and believing in myself a lot more, I actually started getting better. I think things that I did to like believe in myself more was definitely through like visualization and manifestation and just fully knowing that I could do it and I saw it time and time again where I kind of would be going to nationals and getting second or third I don't know like I was always like I will almost make it I won't actually make it and that like I think impacted my confidence a lot because I just held myself back a little bit Um, but it wasn't until like I was like you know what I can actually do this and believe that I actually can do this and 100% put my mind to the fact that I believed in myself then I actually started getting results and it was just a crazy feeling when I actually 
like clicked and my mind switched from being like, yeah, I think I can do this to like, you know what, I can actually do this. Like I can make it and I can run those times. It's just an amazing feeling of self-belief that I just never experienced before. And I reckon that fully changed the way that I approach training and running and approach myself as an athlete as well. Yeah, I love that. I think our minds are so powerful. And, you know, we've had conversations with you about me and how it holds people back. And I think, you know, I had a dream last night about a snake. It was so funny. Lydia and I were speaking so much about snakes and then I had the weirdest dream about snakes. Uh, And apparently that means that you're being reborn or rebirthed. So I think that's quite exciting for me because maybe that means that I'm going to actually finally believe myself, which I think I'm getting there, which is really exciting. Um, That's 100% true. You have to have that self-belief. And then some other things you can do just more on like the, physical side uh, alongside your running is obviously strength training I think that's probably what helped me get my 10k and half marathon times down and have a good season in the middle of last year Um, yeah I think strength training is so important and then other stuff like just getting massages if you can afford it or otherwise doing foam rolling yourself like self-release work because I think we sit so often we you know, running is so repetitive over and over again. You're just going to, if you don't do anything about it, you're just going to get tighter and tighter and then you may get an injury, uh, which is obviously going to pull you back from being able to be consistent. So yeah, just like doing all the little things on the side alongside like nutrition as well. I think nutrition is so important and making sure you're fueling well before runs and, and after and then snacking a lot throughout the day. So I think, you know, making sure you're eating every three hours throughout the day is going to make sure that you are fueled really well throughout the whole day and you don't get dips and dips and highs of blood sugar level that make you feel pretty fatigued as well. So yeah, all of the normal things like sleep, nutrition, strength training, that sort of thing are really going to help you to be better. But I think if you don't believe it, then you won't get better anyway. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, yeah, a very simple thing for you to do every single day is probably eat more. I think most people just don't eat enough. Yeah. So if you can eat more, you're probably going to be a better runner as well. That definitely helped me for sure. Uh, Number five is all about body image. So I am suffering with body image and confidence in myself. I struggle to love myself. What can I do to improve this? Yeah, this is a tough one. And I think, I think it's a journey for everyone. And I'd, if you can ever get to that point where you're completely body confident and fully love yourself at any weight, any size, I think that's like the absolute goal. And I think, you know, it's really, it's quite hard to get there with what we see and what's around us and, you know, what we we've been taught um, throughout our lives. So I, I think what's really helped me with body confidence and, you know, I have probably struggled a little bit recently without being able to run as much is a, uh, just acknowledging that thoughts are not facts. So like if I have a thought about myself, you know, I may say something mean about my body. I acknowledge that thought and know that it's there, but I don't let it consume me. So I don't let it, I don't focus on that because it's such a negative thought. So what I find really helps is like, if I do find myself saying something bad about myself, I switch it to something positive, more about my inner self. So like who I am as a person, my values and that sort of thing. And also just like giving yourself some grace, like the fact that I still get pimples now, you know, yeah, that sucks and stuff. But like the only reason we think we need flawless skin is because we're literally hammered by like these advertisements all day long about like flawless skin. 
and like what you should do for your skincare routine and like this is what I do and like literally genetically blessed or maybe get surgery as well you know like all these things just have a filter on just have a filter on you know like not I guarantee 99% of the world doesn't not have flawless skin it just doesn't really exist so yeah giving myself grace has helped a lot and just keeping on working on it and just you know alongside that acknowledging acknowledging the thoughts that you have are really important I think everyone has negative thoughts but trying to find for you what you are most negative about can help you switch those thoughts as well and make sure that you're aware of them and you can switch it and make it more positive about something else about yourself Yes, love that. I also think like through sport and through movement just allows you to build so much more confidence in yourself away from the effect of what you look like. I think for so long, I was so consumed about what I looked like. It actually impacted the way I was confident in my sport when actually if I'm confident in my sport and enjoying myself and proud of the progress I'm making and running, it allows me to focus more on that versus what I look like. I think for this person, I would just suggest to like try to focus on like what your body can do versus what it looks like. And I know that sounds so cliche, but when you actually start feeling better in your training and in your sport and what your body is achieving, that just builds so much confidence in who you are and you actually start focusing on that versus like what you actually look like. And yeah, like I used to, I know when I was a teenager and even in my twenties, like I used to really like be really judgmental about my legs because I have muscular legs. And I used to like kind of hate the fact I have muscular legs, you know, and now I'm like, damn, I'm so glad I've got muscular legs because they're strong and they make me run fast. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And I don't wish for anyone else's legs because my legs have taken me so many miles. You know, if I think if you can change, flip the narrative to think about like what your body can actually achieve and see that in your training and like track your progress because that builds your confidence as well I think that's really important definitely I love that I love your muscular legs (laughs) (laughs) they're beautiful and they are very fast okay cool next question is one that we probably both don't have that much experience in but we can touch on it a little bit uh so how to tackle postpartum running when you have minimal time to train yeah, this is a bit of a tough one because neither me or Esther are parents. Well, Esther is an animal parent, but I do not have any babies. So it's hard to say, but I think we can just touch on a little bit around being busy and trying to find time to prioritize like your training and put some time aside for yourself. I can imagine as a parent, you have so many demands and so much responsibility and probably a lot of pressure on you to be looking after other people. But it's so important to find time and space for yourself, even if it is only 20 or 30 minutes a day. You know, 30 minutes a day, I think is 2% of your day. You should be able to find that time to put it aside for you and do something that allows you to feel really good as well. So, you know, I think when you're busy and I've definitely been there when I've had so many other things going on, especially when I was working in the corporate world and also trying to train and manage coaching and other athletes, like trying to find the time to actually like get in my own training was difficult, but now it's like something that I will just never sacrifice because I know if I don't put that time aside for me to train, I'm not going to be in a very good mind state for anybody else. And I can't give anyone else hundred percent if I don't give it to myself first. So no matter what, I will always get up and do some form of exercise unless I had COVID. That was definitely not possible. But um, if I'm feeling good, I will always do some form of exercise in the morning because I know it's the best way to start my day. And it like sets me up for a really like good day ahead. 
I just know, like, it's, it's hard to say because I know, like, as a parent, you've got children at home and you've got to um, take them into account. But by putting yourself first is the best thing you can do to be the best person for everybody else as well. So I definitely have friends who have had, who have children. And I know the guilt that a lot of those people, women have felt when they leave their child to go out and exercise. And I even explained to my friends that exact thing of like, even just going out for 20 or 30 minutes a day is going to allow you to be a better mother for your child. So don't feel guilty about taking that time for you, like go out and do it because it's going to set you up better to look after them. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Um, going into the next question, number seven, what is the recommended heart rate for easy base mile runs? Yeah. I mean, this is different for everyone. You know, some people have higher heart rates naturally. Some people have lower heart rates. Like I, we can't just give you a number, but I think like easy runs, you know, they set you up for your hard runs and for your long runs. So I think, and the, the reason they're there is to like work on your aerobic fitness and also to help you recover. Cause they, you know, you've got blood flowing through your body so you can help sort of flush out lactic acid and all those toxins in your body after being really fatigued from training. So I think for me, if I'm going to go really, really easy run, and this is just me, so don't take my numbers and put them on you. Uh, but I try to stay under 145 for a really easy run and then up to 155. If it's not like a recovery run, it might just be an easy run, but um, not recovery run. And that, but I've had my lactate thresholds tested. So I literally have numbers that are right for me. So everyone's different, but I think if you're running and you couldn't hold a conversation easily with someone and it's meant to be an easy run, then you're running too hard. It should be really, really comfortable pace. You get home, you know, it's like a three or four out of 10, like, and effort wise, and you could keep going if you needed to for ages. Um, But yeah, I think that's the best thing there. Like think about, can you hold a really, really good, long in-depth conversation with a really good friend the whole run that's probably Mm. my advice yeah great advice awesome we're going to go question number eight so this is more about menstrual cycle training so what is your training and nutrition advice during the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle Mm, this is a really good question and we can kind of talk about both phases of the menstrual cycle and I'll jump into the training side of things first so for those who don't know the menstrual cycle is broken up into two phases the follicular phase and the luteal phase the follicular phase does have three sub phases in it but we'll just kind of ignore those three phases for now and just talk about the follicular phase is the first phase of your cycle which generally goes from day one which is first day of your period through to day 14 of a 28 day cycle and then the luteal phase is the back end of the cycle so the last two weeks where our progesterone our female one of our female predominant sex hormones is rising and peaks at about day 25 before it drops off and goes back into the start of the follicular phase so the luteal phase is dominated by progesterone and so through that phase we tend to force our athletes to pull back their training a little bit in intensity we do that because we know progesterone has a catabolic effect on our athletes and we need to make sure that they're getting enough rest and recovery between sessions to be able to um, get through the sessions knowing that it's harder for their heart rate to get as high in the um, luteal phase. So through the luteal phase, we focus on more steady state work. And when we're adapting our training to our menstrual cycle, the key session that we really look at and change throughout the cycle is our speed session. 
So the speed session and the luteal phase will most of the time either be removed completely depending on the athlete or we'll bring it down to like a tempo or potentially a progressive tempo depending on the athlete and how much they're affected by their progesterone drop-offs, so how much PMS those women are suffering. Whereas in the follicular phase, our hormones, both estrogen and progesterone, are pretty low. Estrogen does rise towards the back end of the follicular phase into ovulation. Um, but we know we can train a little bit harder. Um, women can push their heart rate a little bit higher during the follicular phase and we can recover a lot quicker as well. So during that phase, our speed session is more directed towards like um, interval-based sessions, potentially like track workouts, 1K reps, 800 reps, 500 reps, or uh, fartlek sort of sessions where we're going, you know, one minute on, one minute off, or two on, one off, and we're pushing the heart rate pretty high and giving ourselves pretty short recoveries. So in a training sense, um, higher intensity sessions in the follicular phase, and then we pull it back to lower intensity sessions in the luteal phase, focusing on more rest and recovery. We have done a whole podcast on training to your menstrual cycles. If you want to go back and listen to that one, but I'll throw it over to you as to talk about the nutritional advice in the luteal phase. Cool. So the nutritional advice that I would say is probably key is, uh, like Led said, with high progesterone, it has a catabolic effect on muscle mass. So just upping your protein level in the luteal phase is really, really important uh, to help you recover from sessions faster. Um, but also we have a little increase in our appetite around the luteal phase. So our metabolism goes up a little bit quicker and we need a few more calories uh, through the luteal phase. So protein really helps you feel full. So that's why um, upping your protein in the luteal phase is really important. And then also upping those starchy carbohydrates. So potato, kumara or sweet potato, corn, that sort of thing is also going to help you feel fuller for longer um, and fuel your body. So those are two really key tips, I think, uh, especially straight after ovulation. And then another one is because progesterone can increase our core temperature. We have to be mindful about hydration in the luteal phase. So potentially having some electrolytes after a really long or hard session would be really helpful, but just also drinking lots of water, uh, through the luteal phase. And then as we go more into the uh, back end of the luteal phase. So as we come into getting closer to our period and when progesterone and estrogen drop off, we get uh, we can get some upset stomachs. I think I know that I get a little bit of an upset stomach getting closer to my period. Um, and that's because of prostaglandins. So prostaglandins, uh, yeah, can really affect IBS type symptoms. So irritable bowel types uh, symptoms. So some things that can really help to reduce uh, irritant to your bowels is caffeine, alcohol, wheat, dairy, stone fruits, onion and garlic. So those, those sort of things that I just listed off then can sort of upset your stomach even more on top of prostaglandins. So prostaglandins are hormone-like uh, compounds, but they're not actually hormones and they work on smooth muscle to help you have basically have your period. So um, they make your uterus cramp so that the endometrial lining comes out, but they can, they also work on other smooth muscles. So that's why we can get an upset stomach canal. You know, we might go toilet a little bit more and always notice if you get really severe cramps as well, I think, you know, speaking to a doctor about things you can be doing, but you know, there is some evidence behind magnesium helping in omega-3 fatty acids, but be mindful before taking supplements that you get advice from either a nutritionist or a um, medical professional that it is all going to work with your body. Yeah, awesome. Okay, and the next question is uh, number nine. 
I lost my period about six months ago. Should I be concerned? And if so, what should I do? I want to train for a marathon at the end of the year. Yeah, good question. And I think, you know, the advice that we've learned from Dr. Izzy is that, you know, even if your cycle starts to change a little bit, you should be noticing it because you're tracking your cycle. And then if you lose your period for a cycle, then, you know, you're starting to really think about seeing a professional. And if it's been over three months, you should definitely be seeing a woman's health professional, uh, whether that, you know, um, a doctor or someone that you know that has an interest in women's health and knows about relative energy deficiency syndrome. I think for the six month time frame for having lost your period, you should definitely be seeking medical advice at this stage and pulling back your training. I think, you know, you getting out of reds right now is a lot more important than you running that marathon. You can run a marathon anytime as long as you get your period back and you know that you're healthy and you're in a sustainable state to keep training. Uh, you know, if you can get on top of this now, the faster the better because it's harder to get out of reds when you've been in it for a while than, you know, a shorter time period. So advice from that would definitely be seeking medical help and pulling back training. What would you say? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just like figuring out what your priority is and your priority should always be your health, whether that's your physical or your mental health. And so in this instance, like your priority is getting your body in a good position to feel good and be working correctly. And I think if you don't take any steps or interventions now and you continue to train for that marathon, I can almost guarantee that you'll end up regretting it because your body will either not get to the start line, you might get injured, you might suffer bone injuries, um, something else might happen, you might even just burn out, which is exactly what happened to me. Um, so stepping in and figuring out like what is actually going on with your body now is the best thing you can possibly do and realize that there'll be so many marathons in the future that you're going to be able to run and it's going to be way better for you to go and run a marathon when your body's functioning well you're fueling correctly you're able to do the right training and run that marathon to the potential that you have versus like push through this marathon sacrifice your health and potentially like do some long-term damage so yeah I think that's great advice cool next question what led you to start Femi yeah very good question I think we started Femi because we wanted to find a solution to the problem that we faced when we were growing up. I think both Esther and I, and even Paige, who was one of our first coaches alongside me and Esther, we'd all gone through similar experiences in competitive running where we had sacrificed our health um, and our mental health as well um, to try and get the results that we either got or we and you know our health suffered or we just didn't get because our body wasn't in the best position for it. So just a quick uh, background for me, I went through relative energy deficiency syndrome in my mid-20s. I was working a pretty stressful job, but I was also training for marathons and actually training for a boxing fight at the same time. And I lost my period for about nine months. But even before I lost my period, I was um, you know, suffering quite a few issues and I went on the keto diet for about six months. So I cut out carbohydrates for about six months and I did that because of the fad diet that was floating around at the time saying that that was the best way to lose weight because I thought if I could lose weight, I would be able to run faster because that is something that I'd always been told growing up that skinny is fast and lean is fast and these words and the connotations that come along with that and the things that I ended up doing because of that like led me to a path of falling into relative energy deficiency syndrome and I think going through that experience and losing my period and then actually having to step away from the sport for 
a good like six months. I think I took three months pretty much completely off. And then it took a good another 18 months after that um, to actually feel better, feel like myself again. So it was a bit of a process to come back from. And then through that process, I ended up learning a lot more about hormones and a lot more about my body and how we should actually be paying attention to our menstrual cycles and actually be embracing them and fueling correctly for them and that we should be eating a lot of food, especially training for a marathon. Like it was just something I was completely oblivious to. Um, it made me realize that there was so much miseducation that I had as an athlete and how much I wanted to learn from that process, but also try to educate other women as well. I think I was, um, so shocked by how much I had learned about female physiology. I, I did Dr. Stacey Sims course and I read her book and did a lot of other learnings around the female body and female physiology. And I just was like, obviously stoked to learn it, but frustrated. Both Esther and I were frustrated at the fact that no, no one else really knew this information. And we just wanted to coach women. Both of us have been coaches for a long time um, already, but we just wanted to coach women specifically and, and allow them to be educated and embrace their menstrual cycles as well. So that was kind of like why we started Female Note. It's got a pretty similar story. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Liz nailed it when she said me, Paige, and, and her have all been through similar. And to be honest, you know, a lot of the coaches as well have had hormonal issues because you know, underfueling or overtraining or miseducation around having a cycle and how important it is. Yeah. So my reds was when I was uh, a junior athlete and mine was around again, trying to fit a mold where I thought skinny was better and um, tried to lose all this weight. And yeah, I had stress fractures. I had glandular fever, I had bronchitis and it ended up making me quit running. And, you know, that, that was sparked a lot by coaches that I had as well and, and things they would say to me. And I think, you know, a lot of the reason that we've started Femi and what we want to change is like the education piece around working to our female physiology and like, what does that actually mean? And what should we be focusing on? And we just want to pass that education on, education, education on to as many others as possible. Um, and hopefully keep more young girls in sport because the way that I dropped out of sport when I was 18 was because you know I prided myself on winning I wasn't winning anymore I put on all this weight because I was severely underweight and I should have put on all that weight but you know that mentally was so tough for someone who's you know 17 16 17 and that led me to quitting sport so what happened to me and what happened to lids and what happened to all the coaches and and all that we've been through is why we've started Femi and, you know, we want it to grow and reach as many women in the world and men as possible and non-binary and everyone. Awesome. All right. Number 11, uh, should I be worried about bone density as mine is low in my spine and hip? Yeah, I think like Lid said, we're not medical professionals. So, you know, this is a tough one to answer, but I think through what we've learned and, the advice that I would give, and I'm sure Liz is similar, is that if you've got low bone density, you should be seeing a medical professional and getting a medical professional's opinion who has a very very keen interest in women's health and um, women's physiology. So really seeking out those doctors that you know you can trust and that are going to not dismiss you as a woman because, you know, the stats about doctors not believing women is really high and it's really sad and we see it way too often uh, because I think only recently 
Lids posted something on Instagram and they've only just put out a skeleton of a female body. So doctors all around the world for the history of mankind have, mankind is another bloody word, humankind have learnt a physiology through a male skeleton. So they didn't even have, you know, a woman's skeleton um, as part of the education piece. So I think, you know, really seeking out those doctors that have a keen interest in women um, and are really clued up is really important. But you should be doing all that you can at the stage and working with a professional to work on your bone density, whether that's through uh, strength training, plyometric training, um, and nutrition, and then even potentially hormonal therapy. So again, we're not doctors here. So that would be my advice is get in and see someone as soon as possible and start to work on your bone density um, if, if that's possible. Great advice. Cool. All right. What are your proudest achievements? Lids. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, this is a good question. I think I'm not really sure if they're referring to running or work, but we're going to roll with both here. So, um, my proudest achievement in running, it's tough. I think because I just like love running so much. I don't ever. I haven't always been just like obsessed with, I guess, like my achievements. Like I think I've definitely been proud of my achievements, but. Kind of a cherry on top because I just love how running makes me feel. Um, but I think for me, probably like results wise, I would say both my 5K and 10K times, I think are ranked like 14th all time on the New Zealand list, which I guess for me is like I'm quite proud of that. Um, when I think about how many incredible women athletes have come out of New Zealand, which I didn't actually realize any of those placings until like very long after I had actually run those times and I was looking at the rankings list and I was like oh I didn't even know that um and then I think getting 20th at the New York Marathon was definitely one of my highlights I don't know if that was because of the placing it was just such an incredible event to be part of but um such an amazing race and so many people do that race and I think I probably had no idea that I was going to be able to achieve that result so that was a pretty cool running achievement but I think my probably proudest achievement of all time would be uh, obviously starting for me like yeah I think the movement that we've created at Femi has been such an amazing journey already and we're just so excited for what's to come in the future and I'm sure how proud we are of the community is just going to continue to grow and grow so yeah wasn't then what about you Est? love that I think yeah same with you with work-wise like I'm really I feel really honored and lucky to be doing a job that I'm really passionate about because I know a lot of people are in jobs that maybe they don't you know, have a real purpose behind and that can be tough. So I think I'm very grateful that I'm in that position and I, I do feel really lucky um, to have been part of Femi's journey. So that's, yeah, definitely my proudest, like, working achievement. Running achievements, like, oh, it's a tough one, eh? Like, I think I'm really, I'm proud of, like, you know, that I had a good season over the 10K and the half marathon last year. But when I look back when I was in junior and like, cause I won world secondary school cross country champs when I was a junior and I like went to world youths and all these things. And I'm like, no, I wasn't healthy. So I, I don't know if I can really be that proud of those moments. I think it's more of like a learning curve than anything. Um, but yeah, I think you should be proud of them. Yeah, I'm proud, but it's kind of, it also has like a tarnish on it from yeah. what I was going through at the time. So yeah, no, I'm definitely proud of myself. And I think, I reckon my best running is yet to come. Um, so I just am excited for what's to come because I think getting my head right is probably going to make me a way better runner. Yes. Yeah. So that's that. Bring it on. Yes. 
Okay, cool. Number 13. So I've got three more questions to go. Number 13 is my coach has said stuff to me in the past that has impacted my confidence. Can you relate to this and what do I do? Oh my gosh, I can relate to this so much and it makes me angry and coaches have a real responsibility to like be mindful of their words and understand, you know, their words stick and they'll literally something they could say to a 15 year old girl or a, you know, whatever age, 25 could stick with them forever and affect their confidence. Um, Obviously we can take that power back and say, screw that, but it is also a responsibility of them to know what they're doing uh, to these athletes through what they're saying and their actions and behavior. So yeah, I mean, I have a coach that uh, had a coach that caliper tested me and told me my stomach was too fat and my thighs were too fat. Um, Literally, I think those were those words, like you have too much fat on your stomach and your thighs. And, you know, to only the last few years have I built up the confidence to wear a crop top through those words. Um, And then also when I was younger, being told, you know, periods didn't really matter and also never really spoken about. I think for me that made it more of like a taboo topic and something that, you know, when I lost it, it was a good thing because I didn't have to worry about it anymore. So yeah, I can completely relate to that. And what did I do at the time? Not enough, I think. And that's probably because I didn't really understand what was happening. I think now I definitely want to be more outspoken if I see that around me. Uh, I, I haven't seen anything for the last, oh wait, I've said anything. Um, I want to be more spoken when I see that or hear a comment around me. And I think if you're uncomfortable with a comment and you are quite young, you can speak to your parents about it as well and your parent and tell them how it's affected you. And hopefully your parents can do something about it as well, I think. Or you could go with a group of friends that you feel comfortable with and say, this didn't make me feel comfortable. Um, You can always reach out to other people to support you through something like this. You don't have to do it alone if you don't feel that you have the confidence yet to do it. Um, But I think, like I said before, coaches have so much responsibility to look out for what they're saying and, you know, the culture they're creating with groups, training groups. um, And yeah, it definitely affects you long-term. Have you had any experiences? Yeah. I was just thinking about like what my coaches, the experiences that I've had in the past from male coaches and two of them come to mind. And one of them I've spoken about quite a lot is when my male coach, when I was about 20 years old, grabbed my stomach um, fat, if that's what you want to call it. And pretty much told me that like if I lost that I'd be able to run x amount faster and like up until recently even just the relationship I'm in now has been probably the first time I've been with a guy that I feel comfortable with him putting his hands on my stomach <laughs> like up until now I probably spent the last 10 years being so self-conscious about when a guy would try and like hug me around my stomach or even a friend put her hand on my stomach like I would feel so self-conscious about that and I, I didn't really realize that until recently. I'm like, I know why now, why I feel so awkward and tense up when someone puts their hand on my stomach. And it's really gone, gone back to that experience that I have with that coach. And that just has stuck with me so much. And yeah, I think definitely was one of the things that led me down that kind of disordered eating path. And I also had another male coach that was after that experience who used to always tell me like, if I lost X amount of weight, how much faster I'd be able to run and I remember so clearly how he used to try and tell me to take these diet supplements 
Like he used to tell me which supplements that he maybe had other athletes take. I'm not really sure where he got this information from, but he'd give me a list of different supplements that, and if you went and looked at these supplements now, they would be in like the diet aisle at a pharmacy or in a supermarket. And it's for people who are like severely overweight. And he used to tell me to take those supplements to try and speed up my metabolism to make me lose weight. And it's just crazy, like that sort of stuff that we even put up with that. And at the time I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like I'll do whatever it takes, you know? And I'm like, that's A, so bad for my mental health, but also B, so bad for my body. Like it's not what I needed to perform better at all. So it's one of those things, like at the time I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to push back, but definitely the work we're doing at FME is hopefully going to change that with educating coaches on what they should be saying, what they should be, shouldn't be saying, like how they um, approach conversations with athletes, how they build confidence in their female athletes versus like pulling them down and taking that confidence away that yeah, has impacted me for 10 plus years. So horrific, but it's all learning curves for us. And that's why we do what we do now. It's crazy. It makes me so angry. Mm. But yeah, it's way too common. Way too common. Cool. Nearly there. We've got two to go. So what is the number one thing you've done that has allowed you to perform better? Yeah, this is a good question and something we're obviously always talking about. Um, the one thing I think that I've done in the last like three years, I started doing it in 2019 and then end of 2019, 2020, 2021, I ran all my PBs. So tracking my menstrual cycle like it's literally as easy as that tracking my menstrual cycle and then adapting my training to my menstrual cycle has just allowed me to feel so much better in my body like celebrate the fact I get a period use it as a sign of my health and be able to do the right training that actually suits my body it's as easy as that like being able to know where you're at in your cycle is the best thing for you to be able to do the right training that actually suits you I think yeah, you see athletes time and time again, like just smashing themselves and training all the time and never progressing and never getting better and then ending up getting sick or injured. And if they actually started like tracking their menstrual cycle, paying attention to their period and um, training to it, I think that's probably the best thing that I've ever done. Yeah. What about you? Love it. Uh, I think for me, it's probably like when I do perform my best, it's when I'm at my least pressure. I think everyone's different. Like some people respond to pressure well and it like fires them up and like they do really good. But for me, I'm kind of the complete opposite. And I think when I pl- place heaps of pressure on myself, I perform badly. And, you know, I had a season where I, I, I ran really well on a track season, ran all, like ran my 800 PB, ran I think 1500 PB and I was so relaxed and I was going out and having fun and doing whatever. I'd still do the training and I was training hard, but I just didn't really care. And then I think the pressure of that season going well made me be like, well, what can I do better? Okay, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And the stricter I got on myself, the worse I ran. Uh, And I just think, again, it's that fun factor. If you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying the process and you're so strict on yourself and restricting all these things to be the best that you could possibly be, quite often you're just going to feel so much anxiety and that pressure is going to get too much. So, yeah, I think for me, the best performances I've ever had, and, you know, it's happened in the last, you know, last year, the last, obviously not the track season, I didn't really enjoy that, uh, but the seasons before that, like the cross country and running my 10K PB and the half PB, was definitely me just being like, whatever, let's go run this. I'm fit. I'm going to give it everything. 
and what will be will be. And I think that's probably for me the main thing. I think the mind is so important to be on your side. And if you're putting so much pressure on yourself to perform quite often, that anxiety that comes along with it is going to hold you back. So yeah, just taking the pressure off, enjoying it. And then like Liz said, track your cycle and train to it. Um, Last question. We are here, number 15. So this is a really cute one. (laughs) Uh, Is it hard for you to be BFFs and business partners? Yeah, this is such a cute question. Um, It's definitely not hard for us. I think me and Est have known each other for such a long time and I feel like we're definitely the same person. So we're so lucky in that regard that we usually like, I'll come up with an idea and Esther's already thinking the same thing, like that sort of stuff. There's so much crossover between the two of us. And we do try to keep, I think when we have our like, best friend conversations versus like talking business we I feel like we do keep them quite separate like we know when we're working we know when we're not working which is good but I think also like at the end of the day the purpose and the mission and the goal of Femi is so clear and we're so aligned on that and so I think any decisions that we make is the best decision for the business and we both know like that is our priority and no matter what we'll always put the mission of empowering women through movement and community and connection and education like that is our our goal and we'll always put that first so like if we make any decisions whether I have an input on something and Esther has a different say on it we'll come to a decision together because we know we just want both want what is best for for the community and for our girls and yeah I think that definitely makes it a lot easier but yeah we're very lucky I don't know if I would suggest everybody to go into you know business partnerships with your best friend but we're just lucky that we love the same thing we're passionate about the same thing we want the same thing for the world and we're very aligned yeah I love it yeah I think it's nailed it you know we're both doing this for the same reason and then as it evolves we just keep reminding ourselves what we're doing this for and that takes us straight back to like the right answer which is really, really um, helpful. And it's cool that there's such a big purpose behind Femi. And yeah, like Liz said, we're good at knowing which one we're doing, work or hanging out, having some wines. Um, (laughs) So yeah, no, it's been really cool and like so fun. And I feel so lucky to be doing it with with Liz and also all the other coaches, you know, because we pretty much just hired like all our best friends. All our friends, you know. And the, the, the thing is that they're all incredible runners and they are all been through similar. And that just shows you, like, a lot of athletes have been through this. So, yeah, we're really lucky with the team as well that we've got, you know, everyone's mates and it's really cool. And <laughs> we are so lucky. We have the best team of women and we're all aligned on the same purpose, which makes our job very easy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is all the questions that we have time for today. So thank you so much to everybody who did submit those questions. We appreciate all of you. We are going to be taking a couple of weeks off now. So we will be back with you in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned on when the FemiPod is going to be back. But to everybody who has tuned in with us over the last 30 episodes, thank you so much. We love you all and we can't wait to bring more conversations about females to all of you whether you're a female male or non-binary we can't wait to bring you more conversations about women but in the meantime thank you so much and enjoy your day